cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi, I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 13th, 2009. For newcomers, look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, and you can download hundreds of talks I've given in the past where I try to fill in the big picture behind the regular media handouts they give us to show you what's happening and how the future is always planned. Uh, The future was planned before we were born, even the stages we're going through now towards this manifesting world government, this super-Soviet system. You'll also see all the other sites I have up there for emergencies and for casual use because it's good to use one of the alternate sites if you find sticking and you go into the comm site. That means everyone's going into the comm site at the same time and it tends to sort of hold back your downloads. So you can take the alternate sites and, and download and get through it easier. It's cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. You'll see that on the front page of the com site. And it's cuttingthroughthematrix.net.us.ca. There's Alan Watt, cuttingthroughthematrix.ca. And there's Alan Watt, sentinel.eu. The last one is the European site where you can get the same audios as the rest of the sites, but you have the addition of transcripts of quite a lot of the talks I've given, which you download for prints up. And they're written in a the bunch of languages of Europe, really. So it's up to you to uh, pick your method of listening or reading. I, I like reading it myself. I think you retain it better. But it's up to you, too, to keep me going, and you can find out how to do it on any of these sites, but go into the cuttingthroughmatrix.com website. There's, there's PayPal buttons there for order and donations. You can um, also use personal checks within Canada and the U.S. Some people in the U.S. don't have bank accounts. They're wary of the banks, no wonder. Uh, They use uh, international money postal orders or postal money orders, but it's going to be international. And they get that at their post office too. Outside the Americas, you can use Western Union MoneyGram or some people just send cash. And the same for within the Americas too. Everything will go electronic eventually. It's scheduled to do so. And there's been articles over the years from the big players themselves, bankers, wanting that system in because the system has to be completely tied together, all information on everyone, including their purchases, to match it with their income. That's part of it, too. As you go into the totalitarian regime, and then eventually to the rationing uh, system, too, that will come, uh, where they'll wonder why you've got extra cans, uh, can of beans there. Uh, and that's not any of, any of your purchases. Who gave it to you? How did you get it? It sounds farcical, but that will come. That will come, definitely. And for those who get the disc passed to them and they don't have a computer, people with computers burn lots of discs and pass them around, you can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estaire, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada, Postal code is P as in Peter, 3E as in Elizabeth, 4N as in Nora, 1, P3E4N1. You can write to me and 
touch with me. But it's up to you to keep me going. The ads on this show that you hear are paid by the company straight to RBN for the airtime, pays their staff, pays their bills, and their equipment, too. Equipment always has to be upgraded, especially today. It's, it's stuff is obsolete in no time at all, and nothing's meant to last very long, as everyone out there knows. So it's up to you to keep me going and do it by donating to me as well. I really need the cash. And uh, I could be doing other things, certainly. But as I say, I came out in the first place wondering if people were ready to even hear what I had to say, if they could understand what I was going to tell them. And luckily enough, there's a lot out there who do understand it and have changed the whole Patriot movement into seeing the, the big picture back after this break. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, once in a while, I get an email, not very often, though, from someone who says, I've really changed the way of thinking, but my news isn't, it's not very pleasant. Well, <laughs> of course it's not very pleasant. It's not nice to, to find out how we've been conned. And your parents were conned, and your parents before them were conned. Everyone's conned generation by generation, even the ones who are being brainwashed now into the next phase of the greening and the austerity era we to go through, uh, meaning poverty. Uh, and as the bigwigs, just like the Soviet system at the top, will live very high on the hog, so to speak. High on the hog. See, with the pigs at the bottom, I guess. That's what that means. But, of course, it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to, to wake up into a reality either and uh, lose your interest in things like even music. If you've been tapping your foot and humming the tunes and, and just being programmed by the music you listen to, which is what it's there for, it's also there just to keep you kind of spaced out and to think that everything's kind of fun. Well, it's no fun when you end up with no cash or you lose your job and factories just move off uh, shore and go off to China, as has been happening for years, while they entertain you with silly, silly little songs. And it's easier for the young because the young are more optimistic. They haven't woken up to reality because uh, they're youthful. They're, they have optimism. They have the hormones pumping through them. They're occupied with other things. And they don't want to hear bad news. They want to have fun, as I say. So the entertainment industry supplies all the fun that you need. It then takes over when you, you end up getting married or whatever. You end up in a house and you're working. You're working stiff. And then you sit in front of the television and let that entertain you and stop you from thinking about how unpleasant it is to reach that age where you're now called an adult and you've got all these bills to pay and you're always in worry of losing your job. Every, every segment is catered for because nothing has not been thought of in this new world order. It's an entire system to control every facet of everyone's lives. That's what it's about. And it's more depressing, obviously, because you find out that, um, and I mentioned this before years ago, I said, you find the tools they leave out for you in a democracy. It's like, it's like if you can envisage, envisage a, a, a road, envision it, and there's all these tools dropped behind for you to use if you're in trouble. And it's, there's a pick there, and there's a hammer and a shovel and all these different tools for the road, you see. And you believe they're always there until you need them. And then you go to pick up the, the, the pick and, and the axe on the road. To, and you start digging a hole and you find they bounce off the road. They're made of rubber. 
it's all an illusion. You see, all these agencies and all these health thing, help things are, are illusions. They have other purposes, other purposes of control. Every agency out there has to do with control, and there's really no complaints department in this system. In fact, it's been even less and less and less over the many years as government has ferreted out or, or ferried out information to agencies. They bypass Congress and parliaments, and they, they just um, outsource, as they call it, to agencies. And then they go way beyond any mandate the government's ever mentioned, and because it is mandated by the real governments, which never, you never vote for. The one which is admitted to, by the way. And once this is all over, and the UN hoists world domination flag, and every country is now a, a little state within a region, uh, like a province, uh, they'll tell you the truth then. They will love to tell you the truth. In fact, I'm sure they can't wait to tell you how generations were conned over uh, quite a few centuries, in fact. But it was never ever intended that people themselves would be given power. Only selected groups with big chips on their shoulder, the outsiders that didn't fit in, would be used for, for demanding from government that the very things that government were told to expect from them. So they could then uh, acquiesce, you see. And these NGOs, as they're called, are financed and often started up by the parallel government through their foundations. Same banking boys, same international corporations own the foundations that finance all the big NGOs. Not every NGO is affiliated with the United Nations. They cannot get affiliation. To get affiliation with the UN, you must apply and you must promise to go along with every other part of the UN agenda. And if you don't, well, you just can't become a member. It means selling out completely to join as an NGO group with the United Nations. And it's also giving more and more and more power to an unelected private body. We can take the economic union of, of uh, Europe that now has got nothing much to stop it from going ahead, but it's declaring itself now the new superpower with a, and it's going ahead with its legal entity status way above the average citizen's comprehension legal ent entity status but it means literally they'll have all the powers that a nation had and all the nations that are underneath it now have no powers at all it's an un basically at the top it's a, it's a secretive body it admits it himself it, itself. it says that, that um, as private groups at the top make all the decisions in secret in secret from their own writings. And how on earth can someone living way over yonder with people who come from other countries have ever, any idea of, see, problems in Britain? Problems that the average person faces on a day-to-day -day basis. They have none at all, and they don't care. So once it's under the, the complete auspices of the United Nations, these three trading blocks are building, you can imagine how remote they'll be from little old you and your problems in your life. This world's been on a different planet. The more centralized anything becomes, the more distant it becomes from everyone on the outside of itself. And it was never set up 
United Nations to be a democratic body. Yeah, I'll have this so-called democratic institutes within it for the high councils to vote amongst themselves. But we don't elect these guys. So you can imagine what's coming down the pike. And they want to run the world in an orderly fashion, population reduction, mandated, definitely bringing along the the, uh, DNA alteration for new types of humans to be born, uh, just as as many as the elite need, of course, because the uh, the UN is a front for those who already own the world. It was set up by them and financed by them to get up off the ground. And it's the main treaty maker that every country that signed on to it goes along with. Every, everything that the UN puts out is signed into law in every country beneath it. Ireland, of course, got ripped off as it voted against this, this actual treaty. But the, one, one, of, one of two countries that didn't go along with it, I think. And uh, they were they had a massive propaganda campaign time and time again until you vote right, the right way. They'll keep coming after you time and time again, terrified, you'll be left behind, you'll starve to death, all the rest of it, until they get enough voters to pass it. Plus there's always votes fraud going on, so it doesn't really matter how many people vote anyway. That's a fact. That's a fact across the planet. And here's an article here to do with Baclav Klaus, who's spoken out against the farce of global warming, and the dangers of the European Union. And the media, now the media in every country really is owned by about five people in the world through front groups and front names and front people. Three, five people own all the media of the planet. And this is from Reuters. Reuters, for instance, is owned by Rothschild. They started it up. They started it up Interpol as well, like a private police company that through drama presentations on television series like Migri and things like that from long ago, they got the public to think it was some kind of official authorized body. This article here says, Signing the Lisbon Treaty, Czech media calls president an embarrassing handicap. Now, what's the media got to do with the politics, really, apart from being an arm of the real governments, the guys that own them? Uh, It says here, Media in the Czech Republic have headed out against President Václav Klaus, who is threatening not to sign the Lisbon Treaty and delay ratifications for months. They call the Czech leader an embarrassment and discuss ways of forcing his signature. The media is doing this, not the people. Since the Irish have ratified the Lisbon Treaty, the polls are soon to follow suit. The spotlight turns on the President of the Czech Republic, Václav Klaus, and he's been slammed by the media in his own country. Says it's refusing to sign the Lisbon Treaty, which is meant to bring widespread reforms to the EU and streamline decision making. Because streamline means giving the ultimate authority, bypassing all national authorities. Because members of his own party, the Civic Democratic Party, uh, submitted a complaint to the country's constitutional court, calling on it to demand whether it violates the country's constitution. Klaus has stated he will not sign the treaty until the court makes its judgment in November. So it's in the court's hands anyway. But the pressure to ratify the referendum is now on. The Czech broadsheet Lidov Novini reports Klaus facing heavy criticism from his cabinet. The Czech caretaker Prime Minister Jan Fischer in particular is pushing to ratify the treaty by the end of the year. Groundless postponement 
of the completion of the ratification process would have a negative impact on the position and influence of the Czech Republic in the European Union, he said, utter rubbish. How's the matter of fast or slow before you vote? Get in. But again, he's, he's been hammered. He's been hammered, but he's holding his ground there. This guy has spoken out, as I say, against major farces that are being used to control the public in the past, including the global warming. And even though he knows, I'm sure he knows, it's, um, it's a losing battle. He's standing up for his own principles. And really, that's all you can do in this day and age. That's all you can feel left to do. Back with more after this break. very, very depressing news, isn't it, when you find out that really all these big machinations are going above your head and bypassing you and everyone you know, and yet it affects all of us. That shows you the farce of, and it was a very good farce, it worked for a long time, this idea of democracy. There never was democracy. Those who even gave it to the public knew at the time when they first gave it to them, it was a con. It was a con to keep them quiet for a while, they'd play the political game for a while, but there'd be only one agenda, and the tops of all parties would go along with the same agenda. That's why nothing changes as you change party to party. Nothing changes at all. It all comes from the top, and it via the United Nations. They don't create the idea, they just do their part in it and pass it along to the, the rest of the states, as they call them. And Here's an article here from the New York Times, October the 11th, 2009. This is, now, this is the handout version they give out to, to people because we don't think too deeply. And it's a PR uh, spiel, really. It says, Interpol and UN back global policing doctrine. Interpol and the United Nations are poised to become partners in fighting crime. So he's a, these are PRs for fighting crime by jointly grooming a global police force that would de- be deployed as peacekeepers. You see, remember war is peace and all that stuff, very Orwellian. Uh, among rogue nations riven by war and organized crime, officials from both organizations say. Now, they're organizations, right? On Monday, justice and foreign ministers from more than 60 countries, including the United States and China, are gathering in Singapore for a meeting hosted by the two international organizations. It's the first step towards creating what Interpol calls a global policing doctrine. A global policing doctrine. Now, he's a spiel for it again. They always, put, they always catch you off guard and put you back in la-la land. That would enable Interpol and the United Nations to improve the skills of police peacekeepers, largely by sharing secure communications network, a vast electronic trove of criminal information, including DNA records, fingerprints, photographs, and fugitive notices. In other words, they're getting access to all of the computer banks that all our stuff since 2001 are now stored in. That's what it means. Now the, the whole world is a target. Everybody in the planet is the target as they transform this and put a super SS unit at the top. Most of a super police unit at the top, uh, where it was the, the KGB or, or Stasi.
or whatever, also a super one at the top. So this is the one for the world. You see, this has got access to all records of everybody across the planet. It says here, we have a visionary model, says Ronald, Ronald Kane Noble, Secretary General of Interpol, and the first American to head the international police organization, which is based in Lyon. This is the same guy, by the way, I think he gave the orders for Waco to get burned. But they do love fire, it's one of their MOs in their religion. More than 187 member nations financed the organization. Members an organization. It's not a country. The UN is not a country. It's uh, an organization. It's a corporation, actually. The police will be trained and equipped differently with resources, said Mr. Noble. When they stop someone, they will be consulting global databases to determine who they are stopping. Modern peacekeeping has evolved dramatically since the blue-helmeted UN military force won a Nobel Peace Prize in 1988. Since 2005, the number of police officers within the total force of 95,400 peacekeepers has more than doubled from about 6,000 to 12,200 in 17 countries. UN police are already battling kidnappings and drug crime in Haiti. Ha, ah, listen to this. They've been in there for years. They're battling, still battling, little old Haiti. And they listed lumber trading in Liberia. This is the, the, this is the excuse they give you, first of all. Because it's all about this whole thing, this war of terror on the general public of the population of the world. The aim of the joint effort is to increase the ability to track the movement of criminals around the world by sharing resources and common standards. According to Mr. Noble, he's also pressing ahead with plans for special electronic passports for the agency's staff of more than 600 Interpol investigators to speed up border crossings. So they have a super pass, this new KGB. And it goes into the different countries that are putting more and more money towards it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say countries, the tax, but we're all funding all this stuff. Your, 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 your governments don't have a cat. They, they take the money from you. That's all governments do is take money from you. The Norwegian, the Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs is contributing more than $2 million. Where would they get that money from? From the public, the tax. To finance the development of international global policing standards, according to Andrew Hughes, an Australian who currently heads the UN's force of police officers. So they're going to create another series of networks to counter borderless organized criminal operations, Mr. Hughes said. And this is a funny one. Too. Again, they pulled somebody, because they always pulled the women card on this. Mr. Hughes said, women in particular are being recruited with a goal of reaching 20% of the UN force. Well, you know what they use women for, for seduction purposes and getting info out. That's what they, they pay them for that. So it's a very old trick, isn't it? And the development of all female units, like the group of 140 peacekeepers from Bangladesh that's about to be deployed. And here's what they say. We're working with refugees, Mr. Hughes said. Many of the victims of atrocities are women and have had enough of men with guns and uniforms. So we're going to give them men with guns and uniforms with blue helmets and lots of money to spend and that'll make it all right, okay? I added the last part, of course. There's articles up there about the United Nations and that the rapes and so on is carried out everywhere it's gone. UN peacekeeping forces. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
and Alan Watts from Cutting Through the Matrix. Yeah, just explaining what some of the handouts they give to the media to hand out to us really means. And I think the listeners are well aware that everyone is going into a hell of observation. Uh, we must know every single thing you do, every minute, every second of the day. That's really their goal. That's their goal. It's the only way you can be truly safe at the top. They talk about peace and security. It's the only way they at the top can feel secure is when they know what everyone is up to. And all about you. You must be predictable. And they have all the data to see your habits. They have so much data on you, you'd never, never believe. A whole personality profile. Even in your routines, weekly routines, who you call, who you see, where you go. All that's collected. And if you deviate from your routine, they'll want to know why. That's all coming down to. Plus, they're putting cameras up, as it's called experiments in households in Britain, by law, mind you. And uh, spending massive amount of money on it for pilot projects. And of course, it's going to spread to the whole nation. Just like Orwell said. In fact, Orwell's 1984 starts off with uh, Winston in his room, just going around a little break, a corner in the room, trying to get away from the cameras while he writes secret stuff in his diary. Otherwise, he'd be observed by the cameras. Why was that? He knew what was coming because he sat on in meetings. Set in on meeting, he mixed with the crew who were designing this whole phase way back then. That's why he knew. Here's another. He's, it's, it's amazing too how they rub everything in your face now today. Uh, they get out at the top there and they start strutting who they are. Uh, as, as they can see their goals being accomplished one by one by one in rapid succession. Now, we've heard Brzezinski a few years ago and Kissinger a few years ago and different ones talk about the up-and-coming Brazil and up-and-coming India as emerging nations. Now, no one, no one emerges unless big money is pumped into it by the big boys with the money who always have plans for those countries. That's how it happens. China didn't pull itself up by the bootstraps and get lots of money through exporting rice. To get all its massive factories built. It was done through negotiations through the United Nations again and the GATT treaty, the GATT treaty, that allowed all the companies and corporations to move offshore to China. And prior to that, for 30 years, the universities of Canada and the States and different places were training the young engineers in, in engineering. They had no factories at that time, so we prepared them for the factories that were to come. Everyone's planned in order in this big scheme of things. Nothing is by, by, by luck or happenstance or hope. They don't use hope in this big new world order. They plan it and they make it happen. Everything happens on cue. So here's how they go strutting out in your face now as they're getting their way, of course. And they can't help this. I've done this down through time. This is from The Telegraph from October the 10th, 2009. When Lord Mandelson, this guy's got an incredible history. Each time he falls in the, in, in, the, in the smelly stuff, which you might be fond of, he's always picked up and raised to a higher level than before. And you have to go to his family's history to see why. It's because he's now fulfilling or, or in a seat as a Lord Mandelson, a particular governmental seat that his father or grandfather had before him. 
when Lord Manderson pays tribute to President Lula of Brazil at the banqueting house in Whitehall on bonfire night, his Brazilian-born boyfriend, Rinaldo da Silva, will not be the only one hoping for friendships to sparkle. Polite way of saying something. The business secretary's holiday host, Nathan Rothschild, this is Nat Rothschild here, it's very trendy, has decided to expand massively his interests in Brazil. Now, earlier on in the year, it was Evelyn Rothschild who was buying up all the, the bankrupt farmers in India to bring in the, the new corporate farming with the GMO uh, veggies and so on, seed. And this is, uh, it says here, Lord Rothschild Air has invested £75 million in BR properties to take advantage of Brazil's booming economy. And you have a whole bunch of front organizations also buying all the other shares. Nat, from whose villain Corfu, Peter Mandelson, reportedly ran Britain, while Gordon Brown was on holiday in August, is expected to take a seat on the board of BR properties. His father is the chairman of the RIT Capital Investment Group, which is also taking a minority stake in the company. They always keep everything in the family, but they always have their agendas set out way in advance, don't they? And they buy it up cheap. So it's in your face. And even the way it's written here, how Lord Mandelson ran Britain from Rothschild's house. He ran it from his house. Well, why bother with Parliament when you're already ruling the country? <laughs> why bother with Parliament? It's just the farce of a so-called democratic show they have to put for the public. And there's a couple of links I want to put up too, apart from these ones, to do with spoofs. Spoofs to do with uh, everything connected to global warming. And there's one there that's got so much in it. It's, it's little extracts taken from just the headlines from papers including, you know, beetles migrate in north for, for a good summer, that kind of stuff. Loch Ness monster dies because of global warming. Uh, and, and it sort of shows you, the, it's to give you the farce, to, to, to create the, how farcical everything is. It breaks that, that worry phase or anger phase and, and breaks into laughter because we are. We have to laugh at the farces that are pulled on the world by the big boys so they can have their way. Utter farces. And I'll be putting them up, as I say, on my, my website tonight for you to peruse. And there's, there's lots and lots of little uh, funny parts of one of them in particular. Even cannibalism is down, apparently, too, global warming, you know, stuff like that. Because everything, they've used everything under the sun to try to, to scare us into thinking there's global warming. In the UK, they're going ahead with the new age of austerity, which means poverty. Uh, as we go through this cutbacks of carbon and, and stop eating so much, and, stop, and of course the inflation as well, that follows the massive bank bailouts as they keep the institutions going, uh, you have to pay for it all too. So they're telling you to cut back. So it says the Conservative leaders here in Britain, this is from Times Online, uh, Tories cut to the chase as George Osborne, who's at the head of the Conservative Party, heralds age of austerity. The Conservative leadership took a massive electoral gamble yesterday by offering years of pain to voters. <laughs> it's like pseudomasochism. I keep telling you, folks, this is a, a pseudomasochistic uh, system. Offering years of pain to voters in the hope of being rewarded for honesty and facing up to the nation's plight. George Osborne heralded, heralded an age of austerity as he pledged to freeze the pay of millions of public sector workers, cut benefits enjoyed by the middle classes, 
and cap civil servant pensions at £50,000 a year. Together, the cutbacks would save £23 billion in government spending in a first Tory parliament. I've never seen anything cut back and used for, for, for what it's intended to. Because immediately they've got, they've got a whole list of things they want to get or do or buy or another war or somewhere else or something. But they've always got so many things planned. It, it never helps the country. They still go cap in hand to the big bankers and borrow more. So that's all a farce. The shadow chancellor's brutal warning. It's amazing, too, you've got shadow people and shadow cabinets. So it's like a ghost, a spooky thing, isn't it? The shadow chancellor's brutal warning to the country to tighten its belt came after it emerged that plans to raise the retirement age to 66 were being brought forward by 10 years. They want us all to die early, you see. They know we're dying earlier now, and they don't want you cashing in on your pension plan. That's why. They don't want that. Why not? Why don't they want you cashing in? Well, they want that, though, you see. The new world order system is you have a duty to serve the world. And once you are, by their own admission, the nations have said a good world citizen is a producer and consumer. When you're retired, you're consuming. You're taking up the Earth's resources. That's very selfish of you. They'd rather have you just die off. And eventually they'll train us all to walk into the extermination cabinet we got a little cheery farewell from, from our relatives or whoever we know. And that'll be it. You just get blasted out into the stratosphere. That'll be it. A little mist. And here's another thing, too. How people fall for the new age over and over and over. And, and they rake in millions, maybe even billions of dollars in books about the new age. And then, of course, the great trick is to tie the new age in with the new world order until it sways a part of those who have kept their heads until a certain point, until they get into the new age, and then they mix it with, with what they've learned about the new world order until you get the smorgasbord of, of, of mixed-up schizophrenic gibber, which is called counterintelligence, because when you try to explain everything that's happening, uh, they think you're a freak. And quite rightly so. But for years that they've yapped on about, oh, Planet X. Planet X always appeared when the U.S. was going to go to war with some. It took your mind off it. And the, the people, thousands of people are standing up, so look, where's Planet X, you know? And then they used the, the Mars, when Mars got closer twice in the one year to Earth, and it changed color from the usual reddish color to sort of orange. Uh, they were looking at that as Planet X, you see. And these guys who designed all this con knew this, of course. But it worked so well. And then there was a 2012. I think every talk radio show out there that goes into the paranormal has started with 2012. Oh, it's written in stone, the Mayan stone, the Mayan calendar. Written in stone it is. And uh, this, this ties in with pensions, by the way, because this, if this is true, you better worry about the pensions. It says here, this is from my way. From my way website, it says, by Mark Stevenson, Mexico City. It says, Apollinario... Uh, Chile Pixton is tired of being bombarded with fran frantic questions about the Mayan calendar supposedly running out on December the 21st, 2012. After all, it's not the end of the world, or is it? Definitely not, the Mayan el uh, Indian elder insists. So there you are, you better worry about your pensions. Hey, the, the world ain't going to be over by 2012 after all. So this elder says, I came back from England last year and man, they had me fed up with this stuff. It can only get worse for him. Next month's Hollywood's 2012 opens in cinemas. This is a big disaster movie. 
uh, featuring earthquakes, meteor showers and a tsunami dumping an aircraft carrier on the White House. It also is apparently some kind of system where they save the, the, the better type uh, from, from the destruction that's coming. Similar to Deep Impact, these are predictive programming movies. In Deep Impact, uh, all the elite and the, those, the technicians and scientists went into the underground bunkers. All those that were left had to stay on the surface to die. And they got lottos for the last few seats. They gave you a lotto for the public. These are predictive programming, and this one apparently has something similar in it. At Cornell University, Art and Martin, who runs the Curious Ask an Astronomer website, said people are scared. Scared, yeah. It's too bad that we're getting emails from fourth graders who are saying that they're too young to die, Martin said. We had a mother of two young children who was afraid she wouldn't live to see them grow up. Uh, Chile Pixton. Guatemalan says the doomsday theories spring from Western, not Mayan ideas. He says a significant time period for the Mayas does end on the date. It's only a cycle, you see. And enthusiasts have found a series of astronomical alignments since they state, which they state coincide in 2012, including one that happens roughly only once every 25,800 years. That's the Great Zodiac, the completion of the Great Zodiac. That's what that is. Uh, but most archaeologists and astronomers in Maya say the only thing likely to hit Earth is a meteor shower of New Age philosophy, pop astronomy, internet doomsday rumors, and TV specials, such as the one on History Channel, which mixes predictions from Nostradamus and the Mayas, and asks, is 2012 the year the cosmic clock finally winds down to zero days, zero hope? And then they even tell you a good chunk of this so-called uh, uh, calendar is missing. So all the rest of the stuff is kind of guessing. But it's just the great cycle, as all astronomers know. Nothing else will happen. Except, of course, they want the UN to be risen up to a higher power, according to their plan. But that's not done by any, any uh, paranormal force, you might say. The cameras, they go up everywhere. Are, are, have many purposes, partly is to intimidate everyone who's underneath the cameras. You, you'd behave differently. In fact, you'll grow up behaving differently. You won't be spontaneous. When you know you're getting watched all the time. It's, it's also to create, sense, increase a sense of fear on you as well. And, and when you're fearful, you're, you're easier to control. It also makes you far more suggestible, the founding studies. The more fearful you are, the more suggestible you are to propaganda. From the guardian.co.uk, 18th of May, it says, the CCTV schemes in cities and town centres have little effect on crime, says report. Now, it won't make any difference, because it was never put in there to stop crime. Use of closed-circuit television in city and town centres and public housing estates does not have a significant effect on crime, according to Home Office-funded research, which means taxpayer, of course, to be distributed to all police forces in England and Wales this summer. The review of 44 research studies on CCTV cam or schemes by the Campbell Collaboration found they, have, they do have a modest impact on crime overall, but are their most effective in cutting vehicle crime in car parks. Now here, listen to how they even rationalise this, especially when used alongside improved lighting and the introduction of security guards. So security guards and the lighting helps uh, less crime in car parks, not the cameras. And it goes on and on and on all the other studies and so on that really has got nothing to do and, and, and the conclusion is obviously since I'm mandated to go ahead with even more cameras right down to your house uh, then there's nothing to do with crime is it 
It's, it's, it's called this new world order, this world that we run by experts, experts on everything that you can imagine, every facet of your life, every thought you could possibly have, there'd be an expert out there to advise you, actually order you eventually. And they already have ones out there to order you about. It's not often either you get um, them being exposed at the top by uh, media, and especially mainstream type media. Uh, they, they, they deny anything. It doesn't matter what they've done. They always deny, deny, deny. Wired magazine uh, has this article here to do with telephone company. But now we know, and I've said this for, for ages, that the media especially is an arm of government. But so now is all communication, or all communication companies. They're all arms of government. And this is from October the 8th, 2009. Telephone company is an arm of government. Feds admit in spy suits. AT&T was the first of many uh, telcos sued for helping the NSA spy on Americans without warrants. The Department of Justice has finally admitted it in court papers. The nation's telecom companies are an arm of the government, at least when it comes to secret spying. Fortunately, a judge says that the, the relationship isn't enough to squash a rights group's open records request for communications between the nation's telecoms and the feds. The government tried to get around it by saying it was one agency within government that, that, that or contracting a new private agency so it doesn't have to go through Congress or anything. This is how they're doing it with public-private. Back with more after this break. You know, this new world order uh, is going to flatten people who are already in the bottom wage earning brackets. Even the middle class has to go. They've always said this from the 1800s. You'd have to eliminate the middle classes. And so you have really this bunch at the top running all the money, a massive bureaucracy of well-paid, uh, fat bureaucrats running it. Uh, they'll have their armies because they always hire one half of the poor to kill the other half. And so guys like Tony Blair know that they've got to soak up the cash now to be amongst the ultra-rich rather than be down at the bottom with the poor because he knows the policies that he and others are bringing on for the whole planet. It really is that way. It really, really is that way. They know what they're bringing down. Uh, the standardization of equality and the redistribution of wealth, as I like to call it, is to, to bring everybody down to, to a peasant status. So Tony's filling his pockets big time has been since he left office after destroying Britain, and uh, he's actually getting put forward for the, as the first president for this new economic union, like the first president ever of this complete new entity. From the Sunday Times, October the 11th, it says, billionaire EU campaigner paid Tony Blair. It says, Tony Blair, the favourite to become Europe's first uh, president, is believed to have accepted tens of thousands of pounds from a steel billionaire campaigning for the Ukraine to join the European Union. Viktor Pinchuk, who is championing the country's bid for EU membership, has already hired Stephen Byers, the former Labour cabinet minister, to press his case. He reportedly paid Blair to give a keynote speech in Ukraine. Not bad money, eh? Tens of thousands of pounds for, for being a, well, what can you call him, eh? What do you call a guy like that? 
Ukrainian diplomats, mind you, Tony Blair himself in our interview has no regrets about anything he ever, he's ever done. Just like a path. Ukrainian diplomats are preparing to launch a membership bid as early as next year and consider Blair a key ally. Uh, the wording is excellent here. It says, several European countries support closer economic ties. Now, all through the European Union, when they were lying to the, the countries of Europe that this was a, a total integration system, they were going for, they used the term, closer economic ties. So, so they're trying to get closer economic ties with the Ukraine, but have not directly backed a bid. Some, including Germany, are concerned that closer links with Ukraine may jeopardize their relations with Russia, and so on, and so on, and so on. But not bad money, eh, if you can get it. Good jobs, you can get it. And if you have absolutely no scruples whatsoever. And Tony, believe you me, has no scruples because you have to see who trained Tony, this Fabian socialist, to train him, and who his mentor at Oxford was. And read the letters that he sent to this particular guy talking about negative and positive freedom, a concept brought up by Isaac, Isaac Berlin. His name is, he came up with this uh, concept of either keep people fooled, give them quite a little bit of freedom, but never let them know what's going on. That was called uh, positive freedom. Uh, negative freedom. Uh, and they really talked uh, in this, uh, this these series of lectures that this guy gave on freedom that, about the people like cattle. They truly do. They're just animals. And um, negative freedom is where they get you on board to, towards a common cause, like, well, saving the planet, for instance, is a common cause. Or like the Soviet Union. And, and Tony asked if you could blend the two together, negative and positive freedom, meaning you're going to be even more out of the dark than ever about anything that's going on. You'll be happy in your own little world where you can play yourself, but you'll all be on board with the whole world on a, an agenda to, to save the planet and go green. That kind of stuff, that idea, you know. The working man's utopia stuff from the Soviet era, all over again. Repetition. Well, <clears throat> from Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's rained again, it's pretty cold. It's good night to me, your gods, or your gods go with you.